This is Soundtrack, a music podcast about the music that impacts our lives. Every episode is a conversation of how music has shaped and influenced one's life. Because music is the soundtrack to everyone's story. Soundtrack is hosted by Kyle Lichty. Hey everyone, I'm here with Mark Carey. Hi guys. We've known each other since, I think it was 2013. That sounds was right. It, was it Paul's bachelor party when we met? It was Paul's bachelor party. Yeah. And we had an argument about Pearl Jam. <laughs> and I'm not even like a huge Pearl Jam fan, but we definitely argued about it because we're both opinionated. This is very true. Very opinionated. I've, I've, come, a, I've come a long ways with Pearl Jam. So uh, we <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> I'm not as... Uh, I don't. I wouldn't say I was hateful, like dismissive. But, yeah, yeah. I feel. I feel like you were dismissive of Pearl Jam's uh, grunge their, in their influence. Yeah, grunge, grunge in general, in general yeah. too. So, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's so how get, we, we'll get right into yeah. it. Yeah, you. You come from Mackinac City up north. Go Comets. Born and raised. Mm-hmm. What was it like being by the bridge? Mackinac City is a cool place. The bridge is a, your back window. It's a unique thing. Growing up in it, you don't really realize that it's a unique kind of place. It's not rural. That's the one weird thing about Mackinac City in terms of being from northern Michigan. Mackinac City is a ghost town for half of the year. Uh, for But for four or five months out of the year, it's a tourist hotspot. So you see all kinds of different cultures, work with different people, see different people from all over the world. And I think that had as much influence on me as growing up in northern Michigan. But so it's not it's just different. It's a unique place. It's not it's not really podunk uh, in, in the way that a lot of northern Michigan towns are perceived. Right. And I think that actually it did influence a lot of a lot of my life um, at the time. You don't know what it's what you're missing out on or anything like that. So, right. So you growing up a lot of early nineties pop, uh, mixed with whether it's like new kids on the block to the various, uh, hip hop artists that were just starting to emerge. How did that come about? Who was influencing you at that time? Some of my earliest music memories were my brother, John, who's five years older than me and my cousin, Jenny, who is, I think seven years older than me. They were pretty tight. Jen lived close by us and they were a little, being that much older than me, they got into music earlier than I did. And I remember New Kids on the Block cassettes that they had hanging tough in that hole. <laughs> they got super into it. And so I kind of got into that at the time. And then I remember like my first, the first thing that I owned as far as music was a crisscross cassette that we got at Glenn's Market up in St. Ignace. Yeah, so that's just some of my earliest memories as far as music were related to those two things, kind of pop and hip hop, which is are not like my two, you know, yeah, you don't really favorite genres now. Not not a ton, but there's things that I like about them still. So that's what John and Jenny were listening to. And yeah, just, uh, and I think that influenced with you. Yeah, I did, it was they had more power over the you know it was traveling to and from places, and they had more control over the radio stations than I did. They yeah. you know I was the I was the young punk who just didn't have actual preferences so i listened to what they listened to and that was it so sorry john i you just got outed um, as a new kids on the block fan your sister went through a purge of her music when you were younger uh what what happened my sister was a, a pretty huge like beatles she was collected beatles music and she listened to a lot of different different what you know secular music and she had this jesus freak moment literally like dc talk jesus freak moment that 
um, kind of nudged her the direction of purging her musical collection. So she was selling everything that she had. And this was before I really was into a lot of music um, stuff, but it also had a pretty profound impact on me because I was watching her get rid of some of this stuff. And some of it was stuff that I really liked. Yeah. So I got my first Dave Matthews Band album from my sister's collection because she was getting rid of stuff and I basically just snaked it from her. Which album? The first one that I got was Crash yeah. from her. Okay. But then but then I also got Under the Table and Dreaming after that. But Crash was the one because it was kind of the one that broke me into that. But I'll say even before that, and I think I was some of a pretty big live fan, the band live, like also live music, but the band live. Yeah. Um, and my sister had the album Throwing Copper in her collection. And when she was gone, she would take off and go to work or hang out with friends or whatever. I would sneak into her bedroom and I would pop that album on and listen to it. So then I got that album from her too, when she was selling off. So this is like, I was, I was getting this music that I had liked, but like it wasn't ever mine. And it really kind of became mine. Those are two of my all time favorite bands now, Dave Matthews Band and Live. I still listen to them. I've had moments of not listening to them anymore but it goes back to when i was you know i was 10 or something like that um 10 10 to 12 in there what's interesting about my sister's purge of her music was this kind of shifting over to christian music and so she was she was became a fan of jars of clay cademan's call jennifer knapp was another one of the big ones that she got into she was a huge jennifer knapp fan and i don't know if anybody out there knows jennifer knapp's story but so she kind of lost her Christian music career when she came out of the closet as a lesbian. Um, And this was several years ago now, but it's just funny to have my sister going through that and kind of me watching that. And then, you know, years later, 20 years later, you get the experience of man, she, Jennifer Knapp, who was like her like queen Christian um, music artist who could, you know, actually pull it off. Right. Um, and then now she gets, you know, basically booted from the Christian music industry herself. Jars of Clay, Jars of Clay too. too. Yeah. And Gunger, too. So I'm a big Michael Gunger fan, um, the band Gunger. And, and they've had some falling outs at a lot of churches. Jars of Clay, yeah, getting um, having shows, tours canceled, churches, you know, disowning them and stuff like that yeah. because of the Dan Hasseltine's expressions of support for gay marriage and that sort of thing. Yeah. So what kind of impact did christian music have on you and what would be like the the words to describe the kind of impact that it made on you guilt is the best word that i can shame maybe is a word to put in there because you're having feelings that you can't control whether you have them or not right yeah in one way you feel super empowered because you're listening to this powerful music and people share their stories of salvation and and that sort of thing and so you're empowered towards this greater goal of being pure and clean and and giving your life over to Jesus and and your life having meaning and that sort of thing and yet at the same time you kind of know like I got to go to school tomorrow and I have friends that I want to hang out with and maybe I want to play video games and I was an athlete and I you know, played basketball and like just so many other things that mattered to me still right. and I'm like how am I how am I giving over my basketball playing to Jesus, I guess he's going to work through me. And so like, if we win something, I I guess I'm going to give all the glory because Jesus wanted me 
to win the basketball game more than he wanted the kids at Harbor Light Christian School to win it. Because apparently I was a good Christian and they, I don't know. Or if I lost, then it was my fault because I lusted the day before or right. something like that. So it has these like super weird. So shame, I think, shame, I think would be the probably the biggest thing. Um, and any failings in those things, you're not going to share that with your friends. You're not going to have, you know, you're not, because it's, you already have been told that this is bad and you shouldn't, you shouldn't do it. Be shamed even more. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're all perfect. All right. your friends. So we're all putting on this facade of perfection that it wasn't real for anybody. Yeah. So it was a good experience. <laughs> <laughs> Back in, uh, you, you've mentioned this already, mm-hmm. uh, Dave Matthews becomes a huge yeah they're, they're your favorite band they, yeah dave matthews is is pretty easily my favorite band of all time which makes me like either a college bro <laughs> or a hippie and i'm sort of not either of those right. i don't think like i wasn't a frat i wasn't a frat boy and and i wasn't a pothead so i, I don't really fit into the dave matthews man fandom but yeah the first album that i really got into was crash and i got that from my sister i believe and i got this so this was actually i'm gonna back up a half step because i bought i got a got a cd player i don't even know how old i was i was a teenager middle school eighth grade maybe and i bought this iowa cd player like five disc changer, cassette deck, yeah. nice speakers, surround speakers, all that sort of stuff. I don't know how I afforded to do that. I was working at like Subway or something like that at the time. So I had a little bit of cash or I got it for my birthday or something. And my brother gave me 311 album, the like self-titled 311. Right. Blue one with the 311 on the yep. front. And I played the shit out of that album. <laughs> I played that album into the ground and hated it for years because I listened to it so much within probably like a three month time span that I had every song on that album basically memorized. Yeah. And now I love it. I go back and listen to that album oh, sometimes really? still. Yeah. I don't I'm not a huge three eleven fan, but at the time it was just enough subversive enough, I think, for me, like coming out of like listening to a lot of Christian music with so I was like this is like maybe the early early stages of like my version of a teenage rebellious kid um so yeah 311 was the first album so then i got a dave matthews album and i remember having heard dave matthews before that um from the song what would you say Mm -hmm. because it was a radio hit and i remember listening to that on the radio and not knowing if that was a dave matthews song or if if that because john popper plays harmonica on that song uh from blues traveler yep and I and they had they had hit songs at the time too. And I could I don't remember knowing when I originally heard those songs whether that was a, a blues traveler song or a Dave Matthews band song. Um, but then getting that album down the line and obviously knowing that I was a Dave fan uh, more than a John Popper fan. They're great too. Yeah, some good some good blues traveler stuff. But that was when it really started. I used to fall asleep to Crash every night. Yeah, and there were nights that I made it through. The entire album before I fell asleep, staring at this sweet Iowa receiver. Um, had a cool game that you could play on it, and I had like it was at this point I was already kind of a live fan. I was becoming an in- increasingly becoming a Dave Matthews Man fan. It was it was cool, and I listened to it all the time. It was on anytime I was in my room. I couldn't listen to it at school, obviously, but I absolutely just fell in love with that album 
for a variety of reasons. Still some of my favorite music. I still fall asleep. Uh, I put my son, my two and a half year old, to bed sometimes. That's what I try to put on if he lets me put anything other than the new Frozen soundtrack on. <laughs> I'll put Dave Matthews on. Um, there's just some songs on there that are, are still I could fall asleep to them. Two Step is one of the best ones. It's like eight minutes long yeah. on the album, which is weird for a you know, for a rock band to have an eight minute long song. Um, but I remember I fell asleep to that song so many times. Nice. It's good times. Yeah. And it's, it's an interesting album, too. I mean, Dave Matthews in general is, is what I love about it is it's, as a teenager, it's emotional, right? He's, he's an emotional dude. He writes love songs. But as a teenager, just like the emotions that come with like breakup songs and stuff like that were huge. But there's a song on Crash called Cry Freedom. Yeah. And so Dave Matthews grew up in South Africa. His family he was born, he was born there. there. His parents moved, left South Africa, moved to New York, and ended up in Virginia uh, in the long haul, but moved the family there because things were, this is this is like in the 80s. Apartheid. Um, yeah, because of apartheid. So they were like the white South Africans, right? They're probably kind of part of the problem. But, but Dave, in particular, dug into that stuff enough to know that really they, they were part of the problem. Um, and that apartheid w- was super bad news. And so this song, Cry Freedom, is all about that. So this is also part of my introduction to race relations and that sort of thing. I wrote a I wrote a paper about apartheid when I was in high school because of that song, because of that album. And that it really introduced me to social problems, to racism, to political and governmental issues and and just just societal problems and things like that so looking back that had a huge impact on my understanding of the world so in my teenage years when so many people particularly white kids in the burbs or or um you know privileged kids wherever just don't have to care about other people's issues yeah i was listening to music that pushed me the direction of caring about other people's problems that was that was one of my big takeaways from that uh, from that album that reminds me um what you just said uh chuck d talks about white privilege and how uh privilege is when you think something is not a problem because yeah. it's not a problem to you, to you. personally right <laughs> yeah um, and how do you get people in music that's one of the great things about music is music is a great way to connect people to things that they might not otherwise experience know about, yeah. or know about yeah. and so much of our social issues are related to ignorance and nobody wants to claim ignorance or be called ignorant because it's uncomfortable to feel like you don't know things um, but the reality is it, we're all ignorant and really so much of that so much of those issues are just about not knowing what's right. going on on the other side of the world or not knowing what's going on in urban spaces versus suburban spaces or in rural America versus versus uh, urban cities or urban areas, yeah. But some other '90s music that really you gravitated towards: Pearl Jam, Incubus. Yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, well, Pearl Jam. So kind of two different eras. This is you, you Dude, know they're that. coming out with a new album in, in March. Pearl Jam. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I just I Dance just listened to the Clairvoyance. Yeah, the first song that came out on it is super pretty, weird. Yeah, it's not Pearl Jam at all. So yeah, so. The grunge scene, kind of early mid '90s, pre Britney Spears '90s, what I like to call it. Um, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Insync, all those people that I didn't like. Well, you know, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, like the grunge movement. Yeah. This is like metal becoming 
slightly less metal and becoming sort of radio friendly. Yeah, that was on all of the time for me, partly because my brother was listening to some some Nirvana and stuff like that. And then I had a, this was a, a, a few years down the line, but I had a kind of an acquaintance more than anything was his family owned a coffee shop downtown Mackinac. And I got walking with him one day and they were going to a, his, he was a huge Pearl Jam fan. And they were going down to the palace to see him and he had an extra ticket. So we're just walking one day and he's like, Hey, you want to go to, you want to go see Pearl Jam with me? And I was like, yeah, I guess so. They were like terrible seats, but I went, I didn't know this family at all. They paid for me to go, they gave me a ticket, bought me food, all sorts of crazy stuff like that. And so we went to the palace and watched Pearl Jam. I think Cheap Trick opened for them. Yeah, so they toured with them. And it both, both they were fantastic. Yeah. Both, both shows were amazing. And I remember, I don't remember what song it was during, but because you're in Detroit, there's some Canadian folks that are coming over um, yeah. from Windsor or whatever. And at one point, this dude breaks through like the security barrier and runs up on the stage. And they're like mid-song, jamming out. And... Eddie Vedder like like stops singing, stops the music. It's literally just the the drums continue going and the bass player. So they they keep the rhythm going, and they're like at the security has like tackled this guy on the stage because he tried to get to Eddie Vedder. They're trying to haul him off the stage, and Eddie Vedder pulls him back up there. They're like whoa 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 whoa, and Eddie Vedder's got that deep like you know you know it's the voice that everybody tries to mimic. Um, <laughs> That's like an entire music scene. Like the alt rock scene was just everybody trying to be Eddie Vedder. Right, exactly. Uh, the rest of it was shit. What did he do? So so he pulls this guy back up there, and this guy's got a pretty awesome mullet. <laughs> and so he pulls him back up there, and he makes him get down on his knees. It's like abusive. This is horrible. But at the time, hilarious. So he pulls him up there, and he he says oh man you know this this guy must be canadian or something like that word and he says where are you from and the guy says ontario <laughs> and so obviously the crowd goes nuts right and he and eddie vetter asks somebody backstage to bring him a pair of scissors oh no and he chops this dude's mullet off on stage <laughs> And I honestly think that it was probably this guy's, like, one of this guy's best days of his entire life up to that point. He got humiliated in front of, like, 30,000, 40,000 people by probably a guy who he adores. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was it was definitely some sort of abusive thing. Oh, uh, but, yeah, Lord. so that was the first concert that I ever went to. And it was awesome. And it just got me hooked. Right. Past that, at one point I had in my in my wallet... I'd kept every ticket stub um, to every concert that I had been to, and this is still in high school. So, in like a four-year span, I think I had I think I had forty-two ticket stubs in my wallet, just all in a stack, in the order in which I had seen them all. And I threw those away one day. I don't know why I did that. Really? I know it was stupid. I just got rid of them. And then it was a purging. That's a different story. But was that um, um, there was a, had to have been a lot of traveling. It was a ton, yeah. It was a ton of travel. Because, I'm from Mackinac, right? Like, there, there's no, there aren't concerts anywhere nearby. Like, probably the closest concert that I went to w- would have been Van Andel. I saw Dave Matthews Band at Van Andel Arena, and it probably in 2000. Yeah, it was probably 2000. Wow, I'm 99 or 2000. But Everywhere. drove to Chicago. So it was like 16 year olds piling into a, a little 92 Honda Civic <laughs> that had. 250,000 miles on it 
and we're we were skipping out of school and driving to Chicago, driving to Detroit, driving down to Grand Rapids, right. all, all over the place, um, and seeing just concerts after concerts. So um, that really was the the launching point for it was that Pearl Jam show and Eddie Vedder hacking off Sony's mullet. That's it was awesome. pretty cool. That's I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah. What is it about those early live experiences that made you just want to keep going back with beyond just like the funny mullet story? Well, yeah. And I think, so I've seen, so Dave Matthews was the next show that I went to and I, I saw him a couple of times. So I'm at the palace and I saw him at Van Andel and I what, sat 10th row at Van Andel. What, uh, is this every day or? No, this was after Before These Crowded Streets. Okay. So Before These Crowded Streets came out in 98. Yeah. I was already a pretty big fan at that point. I remember sitting, listening to the radio again on my Iowa five disc changer with a cassette tape in ready to record. Um, Don't drink the water when it came on because that was their first single off of that album. And I knew, and, and you know, you, but that, then you it really wasn't like internet news stuff so much. Right. So I was listening to the radio to try to catch that song when it played the five times a day or something like right. that. So pre Napster too. Yeah, this is this is Napster. Yeah, getting close to launching probably within right. the next year that it launched. So I sat sat by, recorded it probably a couple different times, catching the radio edit of it. Um, didn't I mean at the time it was, it was still not my favorite song on the album, but but also like an earth shattering song and also another one that like along I mean bef um, before these crowded streets even the name the album name like harkens back to a simpler time right like yeah. be like pre-technology pre-civilization maybe even whatever it is but that song in particular is about native blood being spilled yeah um in north america um, and other places but yeah. um so so the idea it's a it's an anti kind of colonial song and so even that at the time not really knowing all the context of that but knowing that I like this band and I respect what this guy has to say and kind of learning through that process what this song was like, digging in and trying to understand the lyrics to that song and that sort of thing was, was huge for me. It shaped, I mean, it completely shaped my life. So, yeah. With that song, I, I think I told you, but when I was student teaching, we were talking about the Trail of Tears. That's where the uh, Cherokee tribe was forced off their land based on a, a law that was passed by Congress. And then moved to Oklahoma, and I actually I actually played that song, the music video, to the class. And then we oh would, yeah, you had, told me that they had the lyrics, and we would dissect like mm -hmm. kind of what Dave's talking about. That was really cool. The song really is fairly specific, I think, too. Like, yeah, North American indigenous people and the and the struggles that they obviously have gone through and the perpetrated by. Well, you know, European colonial powers or whatever. Yeah. But going back to your original question about that, so what draws me to the... Um, <laughs> the this is how Kyle and I function when we're together. It's not good. <laughs> we never finish an actual conversation. So what draws me to the live we're, experience? We're five, we got five more hours to go, yeah, people. Yeah, settle in and get some coffee. Maybe some alcohol might help. Um, so the live experience, if you haven't seen Dave Matthews' band, See them more than once when you do go see them because they don't ever play the same show two nights in a row. Right. They often play multiple shows at the same venue and yep. consecutive nights, and you will hear 85% of the songs in a set will be different songs. Right. Um, 
And, and even the 15% might be... They might do different versions of yeah, that song. Or they'll jam out longer right. or yeah. whatever. And so that was that ultimately was what drew me to it. It's So you, you look at this band, they're diverse... And so it's just like this mishmash of like what what is Dave Matthews band? Is this rock? Is this folk? Is this jam band? It, like what is it? And I don't know. There's stuff now with some of their newer newer albums that has like a hip hop feel to it. They've got a trumpet player. They've got um, you know keys and everything like that. And so it for me it was just the experience of getting into the music, knowing the song, and then knowing that you're going to hear a song that is completely different than you thought on the album. Than what that you than what you know from the album, but also ten times better, just like elevated. Yeah, and not every band is that way. I've seen other bands that you go and you know you're getting the same set that they played last night, and it sounds exactly like it did, only not quite as good as it does on the album. You know, I think what's interesting too with Dave is it's not just his music that he does. I mean, he's done Jimi Hendrix all mm. along the Watchtower. One of the more powerful encore songs you'll ever hear. Yeah. And arguably the best version of that song. Mm. It's definitely not U2, Kyle. I'm not saying it's U2. I think uh, <laughs> I think Jimmy does a pretty good job and Bob Dylan, too. Yeah. So, it's all but, right. Um, <laughs> and then another being Prince's uh, Sexy Motherfucker mm-hmm. is really good, too. Also a good one. Because he, he does... He'll use that as a snippet. What song? Jimmy thing, mm-hmm. I believe. He'll also make it a, like a full-on just song. Yeah, sometimes. just just play the whole song. They they've covered a truckload of stuff. They've done uh, they've done Bob Marley uh, covers. What was the most most recent one that I that they've been doing a lot. I don't know. They, yeah, they they cover a lot of stuff. You never know what you're gonna hear. Yeah, and they do it well. They, a lot of times, just as good or or better than the original sometimes. So. Yeah, the live experience is just different. So I, I, yeah, went on this kind of whirlwind tour through high school where any money that I made working at Subway or working for my dad uh, doing roofing, I, I spent most of my money traveling and going to shows. So let, let's dive into uh, more of the, the aughts alternative that you got into. Yeah. Uh, Tool. Yeah, Tool wasn't even, man, I, okay, I, I love Tool. This is going to be going backwards a little bit. Tool's new album, Fear Inoculum, is fantastic. Go listen to it. If you like 12 to 15 minute prog rock metal, uh, you will, you'll really like it. My brother was a big Tool fan when like when I was in high school, early high school, he when uh, through when he was in high school. I wasn't honestly a big I wasn't a huge Tool fan at the time. And some of that would probably go back to some of the like Christian music stuff. I was in this weird place still where like if things didn't jive necessarily with my faith like dave matthews wouldn't regularly um wouldn't wouldn't regularly regularly offend my faith right yeah. he would sing about god and spiritual stuff to, stuff sometimes but he wasn't he wasn't aggressive towards christianity or anything like that at the time yeah uh yeah yet so but tool in particular did maynard like i think grew up had some catholic stuff like clearly had some issues some with issues. with uh Catholicism and Christianity and stuff like that. And so I, well, I liked it. it. I wasn't huge on it really until like my senior year. I really got into Lateralis for a while. There's a couple, the song Parable, which rolls into Parabola, just like one of the most amazing rock songs that you'll ever hear. It just literally just like punches you in the gut and then doesn't stop. But I would say kind of before that, I started getting into the band Incubus. 
and they've taken an interesting journey. But their their album Science was like this weird mashup of Primus and Faith No More and like Red Hot Chili Peppers all smushed together, and it was absolutely amazing. They their first song opens with a didgeridoo and a djembe, but then it turns into like a kick-ass rock song, but they also have a DJ. So you're getting like some scratching in there. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like hip hop rock. It wasn't Lincoln park where you had like a second, like, like rapper in there, like a white rapper trying to, yeah, it wasn't. So it didn't really quite fit the new metal mold, even though it was kind of heading that direction a little bit. I really kind of viewed them as like the anti. So like also at the same time, roughly like you had bands like Goo Goo Dolls and, Fuel and some of these bands that were like rock bands, sort of third eye blind. Um, <laughs> uh, context. You hate third eye blind, right? I don't. I have. I have. <laughs> at the time, I did. I felt. I thought that third eye blind and Matchbox Twenty and some and Goo Goo Dolls really were like the worst thing ever to happen to rock music at the time because I felt like they just like made pop music with a rock twist and i felt like they had destroyed the grunge movement and tried to make rock music popular and i so this is like part of me realizing that like i wasn't a rebel as a teenager like i was a really good kid i didn't smoke i didn't drink i didn't do drugs there was all sorts of stuff that i didn't do but i had like a rebellious spirit in some ways because i just wanted stuff that wasn't so soft right like and i wasn't really angsty i didn't have a lot of like pent-up anger at my parents or anything like that and i don't know exactly where my like for some of this stuff came from but like Incubus just had more of an edge to them. I got into Deftones. They will also kick your ass with some good rock music and just a wall of guitar noise. And there was some before basketball games or you know, like traveling or anything like that. That was what I started to get into and I really liked it. And it kind of gradually took the direction of going more towards bands like Tool and stuff like that that were even really kind of heavier. So another band, uh, Amberlynn. Yeah. Especially when we first started to become friends, that was like one of our connection as friends was Amberlynn and yeah. tooth and nail to um, the nail records. So my, so again, I guess going back to like, I've always had this conflict between like secular music and Christian or like religious music. Yeah. And so I think for a long time in my life, I would, I had to kind of reconcile those two things. So there's some stuff like tool that I wouldn't listen to not a lot or I couldn't quite get into because I just couldn't dig into the message behind it. This is one of the things that I love about music is knowing who's actually playing the music, right? So I love Dave Matthews. I loved Live who even though they weren't like overtly Christian, just super spiritual stuff that I could get with. Like it, it just kind of it resonated with my spirit a little bit. Could connect with. Yeah, I could connect with it. And too like wasn't quite there because I just wasn't angry enough at the world. And I, I get it more now like the world is a place that you can be you can be angry at the world in a lot of ways and and it's okay. But so I was still looking for Christian music and stuff like that. And so Anne Berlin in particular was one that I got into because I got a Tooth and Nail Records compilation album. And it had this Anne Berlin song on there. I bought it because it had Living Sacrifice on it. And I got into I got into Anne Berlin. I got into the band May. I don't know if you ever listened to yeah, May. I think they only had one or two albums at the time. And then they okay. came back. And they and they made another one, but I actually the Anne Berlin song that got me. The hell's the name of the um, boys speaking rhythm and girls uh, in code? Foreign language. Yeah, foreign language. That was the song that got me. 
weird. Because it's so poppy. It's like their most poppy song. It it was a little weird, but they I was okay listening to it because they were on this Christian label, even though they rarely, if ever, sang about anything overtly Christian. But I just was kind of okay listening to it and it and it and it jived with me. That's weird. Foreign language. I know that that's that that's the song because it's just a pop song. Yeah, it's just a straight up pop song. I try to I play it for my kids sometimes, thinking they might like it, but they don't. How did never take friendship personal and cities speak to you? So never take friendship personal. I liked that album a lot. The album artwork is really cool, like the the like the white head, head with yeah. the like flower or whatever coming out of it. I think is really cool. Yeah. At the time that I was listening to that, now we're talking about into college a little bit for me. So I was starting to do the church thing a little bit more. I was starting to dive into the idea of Jesus a little bit more. I started going to Mars Hill and started to actually figure out that Jesus is like a real person, um, and and didn't only care about whether I um, looked at a, a girl sideways when I was fourteen. Had this really divergent uh, kind of thing going on, and trying to sort out what, you know, like what mattered to me and what was okay. And Anne Berlin kind of fell into that mix yeah. there, and I could see it just fit really well. Was Anne Berlin for you this band that allowed you to hold the secular and the spiritual? Yeah, which I think, like based on what you were telling me, was yeah, pretty important for sure at that time. Yep. For you. It allowed me to still be a rock music fan. And still challenge some of the things that I was believing and learning to believe and was starting to hold solid and stuff like that. And <clears throat> yeah, so they, they definitely, they had a, a very distinct time period for me where they were, where they really were super important to me. And then, yeah, it fell off a little bit. And then more actually later, our mutual friend, Josh and Matt actually was a big Amberlin fan. And so he was a youth group student of mine and liked Amberlin. And so that actually kind of reconnected me with it. I actually borrowed his Cities album and then was like, oh, yeah, Amberlynn, they're sweet. <laughs> so then I love that album now, too. But Yeah. After this, you, you're listening to music that is challenging you and challenging your views on life. Uh, explain. I was also starting to read and study a lot more political literature, a lot more anti-racist literature, Tim Wise, Robert Jensen, digging into uh, the essentials of Martin Luther King, have a huge collection of Martin Luther King's essays and sermons and letters and stuff like that. And I was really digging into that stuff. And so starting to kind of see where Martin Luther King took his Christian theology to address some of these social issues. Right. And you can call liberation theology or whatever you want to call it. Desmond Tutu. Yeah. Our, yep. Archbishop Desmond Tutu and the influence. Even Tolstoy. I was reading some Tolstoy, which people don't think of Tolstoy, like War and Peace or something like that, I think. People don't. People think of Tolstoy as a, uh, as a novelist, an author. But Tolstoy was oh, yeah. a hardcore pacifist, nonviolent, direct action. Tolstoy, actually. So people say... People say that uh, Gandhi, a non-Christian, influenced Martin Luther King Jr. And that's true. Absolutely. Quoted him regularly and that sort of stuff. Because Gandhi used nonviolent direct action as a form of protest to accomplish social um, justice. But Tolstoy was a huge influence on Gandhi. Gandhi. And Tolstoy is a Russian dude who wrote 
all sorts of novels and stuff like that, but he also wrote about violence and evil and that sort of thing. So using scripture as a, as a justification for nonviolent um, direct action stuff. And that was a, he was one of the primary influences on Gandhi. So it's like this circular sort of, and I think some of that also was like me opening up my mind a little bit to Christianity as not a conservative political version of Christianity, American white evangelical Christianity, but the kind of Christianity that might come from marginalized brown and black oppressed folks in societies and civilization. Anti-empire. Right, yeah. Some of that was all this through music and introduction to the potential that maybe God cares more about poor folks than he does about how much money you make. Uh, and a lot of that came through music, my introduction to it, and then education. Turns out the more you know, uh, the harder it is to understand some of the things that you thought you knew growing if you, up. If you don't know, now you know. know. There's a little gap in here yeah, in our timeline. I was going to ask about that. Is that like when yeah. things kind of just... You're so your normal day to day. Yeah. So kids. 2008, I graduated from the PT program. I was working. 2010, my girls were born. I have twins. They're nine. Part of me, even trying to go through it and try to figure out where that gap comes from musically, it it also sort of makes sense. It was this is a tough time period for me. Uh, I mean, obviously, the the joys of of having twin daughters and all the experiences with that. Um, but I also was I was also in a marriage. I got married in 2005. 2005, yeah. Got divorced in 2013 when my girls were three. And in that time frame, I was also working, obviously, um, just working my ass off trying to play, pay off student loans and trying to work my way up in a company. And a lot of time out of the house and then, you know, taking an entire uh, entire day or more or weekends or whatever where I was just home, home with the girls. So you know, like a 12 hour day at home by yourself with twin daughters when you can't just like throw one kid in, in an arm and run to the store or anything like that. Like it's just a lot of work and it, and it changes your life. And I also, during this time, just not being in a great marriage, no need to talk about blame on that stuff uh, anymore. It just was what it was. But part of realizing, you know, like I, I'm a huge Detroit Pistons fan, for example. And that was a, a time period in my life where I just stopped doing that. Didn't pay attention to it anymore. Huh. Was it because I was working? Was it because I had kids? Was it because I was in a marriage that just kind of like it just wasn't just didn't fit into uh, the plans or whatever it was? I was dealing with some depression through that time period. Was going through some counseling and that sort of stuff. And so lots of great things. Like I had a, a good job that I loved. Um, that also kind of went a direction that I wasn't expecting, and kind of ended up changing changing paths, working for a different company. But there was a definitely a time period in there where I, I just struggled in music. Not that I didn't listen to anything, but kind of just it was not a passion for me. I was I read a lot of theology, N.T. Wright, reading some Rob Bell. It's not exactly the, exactly theology, but read a lot of Rob Bell stuff at the time. N.T. Wright was digging into more. Some some more of that uh, anti racist stuff, Tim Wise and and Didn't you, stuff like that. James Baldwin. I I haven't even honestly read a ton of James Baldwin. I thought you did. Um, I I have read it. W. E. B. Du Bois. Dude, James, man. Yeah. He. Oh my goodness. The issue is how much time do you have? Yeah. To dive into all of it, right? And what's and so 
yeah, so music took a backseat for me for a few years. Um, and then after I got a divorce, that's a pretty major event in your life, spiritually, emotionally, physically, everything. It, it, it impacts everything. It, you, you, well, like with you, kids, too. With Yeah, with kids in there as well. And so part of it is when I think I like reverted back to 12 years prior to that in terms of what I actually liked and cared about. And all of a sudden I realized like, hey, there's some stuff that I've been missing out on that I really cared about. That was a part of who I was and am not right now. But really, I, like these are non-negotiables for me. Music was one of them having time and energy to put into music is ener is, a, is an energy drainer for me. I li listen to a lot of music, but I don't just listen to a bunch of random stuff. When I listen and latch onto a band, I want to know everything about them. Yeah. Um, I study them. I, you know, I, I, I go see them. I read the lyrics. I try to understand them because it resonates with you. So I've, I've refound some of my love for music. I start, I went back and started listening to live and in incubus and Dave Matthews band and kind of just like, in my free time, that is what I kind of went back to. And it was like rediscovering my sense of uh, love for, for music and that sort of thing. And it was energizing and it was part of what got me through that really tough time period. Um, actually started to listen to some bands that I hadn't listened to before. Got into Mumford and Sons for a while. Like Mumford was popular for quite a while by yeah. then. And I was always kind of like, eh, whatever. The song The Cave was a huge one for me. Really that entire album, Sign No More. Yeah. was was huge for me in that time period and some of it was because it was you know it was, it was breakup music stuff from him it's emotional but it's also spiritual at the same time the cave just this idea of coming out of a, of a dark cave or tunnel or whatever it was and into the super bright light and kind of realizing who you are again and reconnecting with who you know you are and that yeah so that that song for me played a huge role in that that entire album well i feel like with that song but also, I don't know if you're familiar with um, the philosophical elements to that, the Plato's allegory of the cave by, hmm. by any chance. But it, it kind of your your enlighten me your story. Yeah, you know you're you're intellectually diving into all these things, mm -hmm. and then you're finding yourself again with your identity. Yeah after the divorce just very similar what plato talks about in the allegory i'm not i'm, I'm unfamiliar not, i'm not that good with that particular philosophical what what's being brought up yeah um because the part of the problem too is there's so many different theories and ideas right. as to what plato was really getting at right yeah but it's really interesting that that song was like your song yeah at that key moment in your life right and and what what was interesting for me was that it was it came from a band that I hadn't that I really hadn't previously it's a different cared that much about yeah it's a different alternative type of band yeah. than what you were used to but that well. was also one of the things that I realized is that I hadn't I had always periodically like you know listened to new music and latched onto something and I hadn't done that in years. Uh, I was like stagnant like I, I had just kind of become stagnant and at that. That started to kind of open that, and it had started to happen a couple of years uh, prior, even back as as early as 2009. I had that like with kind of a little bit of a renaissance with Dave Matthews Band, 
um, kind of coming back up for me. It was like waking, waking that up just a little bit for me and realizing that I was missing out on that. And then kind of going back into the cave again, apparently for a while. Um, (laughs) yeah, so that, that, that was big for me. Um, and then we had, I mean, I think now is as good a time as any to talk about the road trip, dude. It's like one of the best trips I've ever taken. Yeah, I agree. With you. So, what, this is 2014. Yeah. Right? So we, Summer 2014. Yeah. I went out to North Carolina mm-hmm. for a month, came back, and then we went down. I want to, so I got to go back on this. Okay. Story wise. So, Kyle and I met at Paul's bachelor, bachelor party. party. Yeah. But then we also went down for Paul's wedding. So, they, they lived down in Charlotte. And Kyle and I both went down there. And so I, I was in a pretty rough patch in my life at that point, but hadn't really told anybody that. Uh, had recently opened a new business for the company that I work for or was actually about to open right. it. Had not yet. Yeah. Um, wedding was in October. Yep. Um, so Kyle and I also reconnected at that, partly at the, the U.S. Whitewater, yeah, U.S. Yeah. National Whitewater Center. Prior to that, we knew of each other, but I, but, and it wasn't like we spent a bunch of time together, like on that weekend, but definitely like got to know each other a little bit better, um, going through some of that stuff together as well. And then, uh, and then, so we had a, a destination that we both wanted to potentially go to and visiting Paul and Megan down there and being a huge Dave Matthews fan. So I've carved out a little bit of time and then got talking to Kyle. And so I mentioned this potential trip to Kyle. I wanted to go, wanted to maybe go see Paul and Megan and, and head down there. And that Dave Matthews is touring this summer. And so I was thinking about maybe getting tickets to a bunch of shows and just road tripping down there. And Kyle wanted to go having a partner on it. And as it turned out on this trip, like one of the best trips I've ever been on the best road trip by far that I've ever been on. Yeah. Wouldn't in my life change it or do anything differently. And having Kyle there as like, partner in crime for the whole thing was absolutely outstanding. So short version is we drove down to Charlotte. We saw four Dave Matthews shows in five nights from Charlotte all the way up to um, right outside DC, Bristow, Virginia. Bristow. We didn't pay for any tickets. We volunteered at every show. So we were hawking water bottles in the parking lots. We paid for one drink. Yeah. And the entire four shows. That was the last show. I bought us a beer as we were watching from the lawn because we were basically we're hawking these water bottles and there's a bunch of drunk Dave Matthews band, drunk and stone Dave Matthews band fans giving us food, drinks. giving us drinks. We never had, so we'd spend two or three hours or whatever before the show fundraising for their, uh, Vama works foundation, um, to raise money for local farmers and stuff like that. And, where? Kyle pretty much always figured out where we stayed between shows. We would get out of the shows at you know eleven o'clock at night and have to drive somewhere and stay somewhere. And Kyle knows somebody from everywhere. That was crazy. But I mean, I we had I had a friend in Raleigh. I had a, friends in Virginia Beach. Friends in D.C. So yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, so we stayed with Paul and Megan, uh, and we did the Whitewater Center there. Yeah. Again, with them. Yeah. We were there for a couple nights. Drove 12 hours down there after I got out of work. Through the night. Through the night in a Civic in the pouring rain for the entire time. Kyle stayed awake for the entire thing. Got to Charlotte at like 8.30 in the morning and probably slept for like four or five hours almost immediately. It was a, But it was terrible sleep for yeah. those four hours. Yeah. Like, 
horrible on air mattresses right <laughs> thanks paul and megan <laughs> no and, and but then we, and then we went to whitewater raft yeah i think <laughs> that day i think we went the next day didn't we anyway still yeah so but we also we listened to a lot of music yeah down the way down and, and on and the back way back up. up yeah we listened to probably all of dave matthews entire Discography. catalog and then on the way back actually we got through probably 90 percent of u2s yeah because i was like i u2's fine kyle but i just don't know if i care that much but i was like well <laughs> you you suffered through a bunch of dave matthews uh stuff with me uh, I, I guess i'll i guess i'll give you two a chance do you remember on the gps when we were we we're listening to you two and we were gpsing we were trying to find that campground after one of the shows and on the it, it came up and it stopped showing the names of the the street names oh and we were listening uh, to and where, we were listening to that album where do the streets have no name where the streets have no name and i was like dude check this out it was like four or five turns in a row of literally no street names that's awesome <laughs> we were like no way that's crazy so and we weren't stoned either so it wasn't yeah. like it was actually just pretty cool do you remember we we didn't get there until like three or four in the morning camping yeah 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 and we're setting up at <laughs> like three and then we and, and then, then the daylight it was like eight o'clock in the morning probably seven, seven o'clock yeah. kids are screaming yeah. no sleep <laughs> gosh yeah we had so much starbucks Yep. along the way too yeah that was i was getting into i was getting into a little coffee at starbucks phase we were stopping at every starbucks we could find yeah we went to the we went to the ocean yeah so, uh, virginia beach. virginia beach because yeah. one of the shows was in virginia beach but we had a we had a one day layover the one the one day that we were off there so we hit the beach there and it wasn't that nice um it was super hot yeah if i remember uh but we also stopped in dc yeah and we w- got to see the mlk memorial right uh, and we we did a quick Kyle. I mean, you get everybody listening to this probably knows, but is a social studies nerd, and so we also um, we went to Gettysburg. Yeah, on the way back, back after the last show. Yeah, and if you haven't been to Gettysburg before, don't go unless you go with Kyle, because Kyle knows shit that nobody else knows or cares about, but that make it completely like so you can follow all the path and stuff like that, but. But Kyle knows how to take you to the places where the real shit get, went down, um, where where that stuff really mattered. Yeah. So take Kyle the next time you go. Well, as a kid, there was a movie called Gettysburg that I just, for some reason, it's like three plus hours long. Is it like a Ken Burns film? No. Oh, it's a. Uh, he has probably one though, doesn't he? Yeah, he has a ten-part Civil War docu-series yeah that's amazing yeah but this is like an actual feature film okay and i fell in love with it so to be able to go to gettysburg and like yeah to see you know someone like little round top for example we went and that's like that's like the pivotal spot in the change of the civil war so this is a taste of what our road trip was like who wants to go on a road trip with (laughs) kyle and mark he listened to only Dave Matthews and talk about Gettysburg for yeah. hours. But like, think of—I'm <laughs> just kidding. But think, like, for me, it's like, again, we—you know—we had just been to MLK's memorial, and so process for me is thinking that something like MLK may have never happened if the 20th of Maine hadn't done what they did at Little Round Top. Mm-hmm. It's just that, that 
realization right in just a short amount of time yeah changed Uh, history yeah yeah and this does all have to do with music right this is how we got here right this is how we got to this conversation is through music what about the those four shows at that time in your life what was that to you i think kind of as i said before this was this was coming through a really difficult time period in my life uh not knowing who i was coming out of the cave and feeling like i just kind of didn't know who i was like an identity crisis it was like being a teenager again and i was 29 right. 30 something like that so being able to take that trip and go to those shows was it was solidifying my identity again it was knowing that no like this is something that i care about doing these shows matter to me so this was my i've seen dave matthews man 20 times now i saw them two other times on that tour indie right indie and detroit and ndte pine knob and noblesville yeah um and so this these were my up to my 20th time seeing dave matthews band and but they were probably some of the most important ones because it it tied me back to my my identity and gave me some some grounding and just gave me gave me a little bit of peace and like i it was it was one solid stable thing to hold on to and to know that yeah this is mine and this is who i am i like this stuff i'm right. going to do these sorts of things i don't have to go on a week and a half long road trip or whatever necessarily in order to be able to do it but i love music and i love dave and i love hanging out with friends and that sort of stuff. So it, it was pretty, pretty huge for me. Kind of a rebirth. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Not only a rebirth with Dave and Mumford, but you had some new influences with Gunger. So I started getting into Gunger. Don't even really know how. Uh, so Michael Gunger is a former worship pastor. So I started, so the album, I had listened to them off and on a few different times and just kind of never quite got into them where I like really engaged in them. And then the album, I Am Mountain came out and the song, the the I Am Mountain came out and it was different. It was off the wall. It wasn't, it wasn't Christian-y worship sounding music. It was genre crossing. I mean, Michael Gunger's a ridiculous like blues guitar player. But it had a it had a little bit of a pop feel to it with a little bit of a rock backdrop. Um, there's strings and horns at times and some electronic stuff and keys and all that sort of stuff. And then they put out a, a trilogy. So I started listening to Gunger, which I was okay with. Again, kind of going back to that, like, does this jive with my faith? And now I'm like wrestling big time, like with my faith, like having kind of law, like in the process of of a, of a divorce also lost the church or kind of gave up the church community that I um, had been a part of and really started to wrestle with the idea of whether God, whether that existed at all, um, what it meant, what uh, God could be like or what God should be like or that sort of thing. And so I was okay with listening to Gunger because it it appealed to my spiritual side. But that album, they started to to take a shift. There's some overtly Christian-sounding songs on that album, but there's also a lot more about it that is just kind of questioning and spiritual in nature, and the music was just really freaking good. So I got into that album, and then when they put out, like over the course of like a year and a half, they put out... um, a trilogy of albums uh, under the title One Wild Life, 
Um, and then there was three albums kind of underneath that. Um, when they put those out, really took a massive shift on those albums. And it turns out during that time, Michael Gunger and his wife and some of his friends were going through a bit of a spiritual deconstruction, they like to call it deconstructing their Christian faith, kind of getting down to the roots of some of that purity culture shit that they went through and finding a bit of a Buddhist bent to their practices and things like that, their understanding of what God is and uh, what God is not. You met Julia. Mm-hmm. You're dating. Successful online dating. Yeah. Uh, at this point, you kind of return back to some older alternative rage against the machine yeah audio slave how did that come about i don't know um system of a down even like if you've never listened to system of a down i know kyle's giving me a weird look (laughs) some there's some excellent stuff in in some system of a down albums uh yeah so i got into started getting into rage against the machine uh again I don't i listened to that a little bit when i was in high school but again kind of a little bit of a kind of pushed away from it because of I'm supposed to be like a conservative thinking person and, you know, they're raging against the machine. Um, So I liked the music, but couldn't really jive with it. I think some of it was like that I discovered that, no, like I actually, this nails it on the head. So anti-racist stuff and, and, and that sort of thing. So really got into rage and I just love rock music. Apparently I have like control issues or something like that. I think that's what that means when you, when you love that. And then kind of because of that started i just needed more of it and but then i started listening to audio slave which is you know rage minus zach yeah plus chris cornell rest rest his soul and so then that led me into even listening to a little bit more Soundgarden during that time like so i was already kind of getting into audio slave so when chris cornell died and i had been so my son's middle name is stone finian stone and Part of the, he's named after uh, Lucy Stone, who was a anti-racist abolitionist and women's rights suffragist. So that's really who he's named after as a middle name. So he named a baby boy after a lady, which I think is sweet. But also, at the time, I was listening to a bunch of Audio Slave and the song "Like a Stone." I was like grooving with big time. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, yeah, that's, I sing that song to him at night to put him to sleep. It's a song about death and how to, how to deal with that super spiritual song. Um, and just sad that Chris Cornell passed away too. Yeah. But kind of past that, I, I've got Spotify on all the time. I have music playing hundred percent of the time. Julia introduced me to Avit brothers, went to a show, went to an, went to an Avit show I like them more than she does now. Oh yeah, yeah. Their newer stuff I've got, I've gotten into. She still kind of likes their older stuff a little bit better. That's how that tends to go. Dave Matthews' newest album, "Come Tomorrow," uh, is a rockin' one, also a good one. Finn's one of Finn's favorite albums. Julia and I got married to the song "Here on Out," which is just a super sappy Dave uh, song with some great acoustic guitar yeah. stuff behind it. Um, we jam out to the song "Can't Stop." Finn dances on the table to that all the time. The, the second it comes on, he's grooving to that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I've got, you know, I, I've hit a place where I'm discovering new music. I'm discovering old music that's relevant. And it just still is music is the soundtrack to my life. That's it. <laughs> I can't even, like, that's a thing I've said for years. Yeah. And it's never been more true than now. And I hope that it's, I hope that it's always true. So, 
being a, a, a father of three kids, yeah. what, what are things that you do at, uh, as a dad to promote music into their lives or what, you know, what are they listening to? So what do we listen to now? The Trolls soundtrack? <laughs> Frozen? Have you seen Frozen? Yeah. Okay. I haven't seen the second one yet. So what do I do with my kids? I listen to music with them all the time. My girls have a playlist on Spotify, hundreds of songs on there. Finn, while I was in the hospital, while Julia was in labor for 80 hours, I was going through and making a playlist for Finn when I had a little bit of downtime between contractions and asking. And I so I can I had my family um, added my family to that playlist so that they could add some songs for them. And even just just searching Stone and, and Finn and all that sort of stuff and coming up with that. So we listen to those albums all the time on road trips, putting them to bed at night, sing to them all the time. Why is music so important? Why do we, why do we listen to it? Dude, that's like the hardest question. Music is important because it, it doesn't, music doesn't have to be important. It's not important to everybody. It right. doesn't resonate with everybody. Yeah. And that's okay. For the people who music is, is, is important to. For me, it's about resonance. Resonance is what, music is made by resonance, right? Yeah. Strings, creating sounds, harmonics within notes, all that sort of stuff. But also an idea that's conveyed artistically can resonate with your spirit and change the direction of your life, change the way that you think about things. A kid from a small town in northern Michigan can care about Black Lives Matter and can change his political views and change his worldview and change why he does things because music can stir your soul because it resonates. And you can't always explain it. It doesn't always make sense that it resonates. You might have learned a million things one way and then you hear something and it just, you can't, you can't escape it. You can't get, can't get away from it. And it keeps coming after you to wake you up. And so that for me is why music matters to me. Um, it's soothing and sometimes it helps, it can help you get through emotional experiences and help you feel emotions when you're, you're trying to avoid feeling them. It can take you down into the depths and it can help you get up to the highs. Um, but ultimately it's a, it's resonance, just another way that we, that, that things can resonate. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, I think we broke the world record. Uh, <laughs> Long. Sorry guys. That's okay. Um, thank you for having me. Yeah. We should do this again. Maybe not recorded just over beer. Yeah. Um, well, of, of other topics of interest yeah. and, yeah. Uh, how these things will always come up though. Cause music is super important yeah. to both of us. So, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And how, how much better the bulls are in the nineties mm-hmm. than the pistons. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ignore that one <laughs> without uh, the pistons. There is no Michael Jordan. That's true. Cool. Yeah. Hey, thanks. It. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack with Kyle Lichting. Each person interviewed has created a playlist to the very songs that have impacted their life. If you are interested in listening to their playlist, you can head straight to our website at soundtrack.fireside.fm, click on Soundtrack Playlist, and it will take you straight to their playlist on Spotify. If you like the podcast and want to know more, check out our Instagram at at Soundtrack Podcast, or leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Join us next time on Soundtrack. Soundtrack.